Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to your word, fill us. Fill our hearts, our minds, our very souls with who you are, with your truth and your wisdom, your righteousness, your love and your grace and mercy. Lead us on, we pray, O gracious God, in Jesus' name, amen. So a couple weeks ago, not a couple weeks, actually a couple months ago now, I spoke about how I am a radical, right? Do you remember that? I'm a radical. I'm, I'm a radical because I believe that the gospel is the answer to man's most dire problem. I'm a radical because I believe that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. I'm a radical because I believe the Bible is God's word. That's how much of a radical I am, right? Now, you would think that would be sufficient to say that. But no, I must not only add that I am a radical, I am also a fool. Indeed, I am a fool by the world's standards. I am a fool for believing everything I just told you that I believe. I am a fool for saying that God's wisdom surpasses anything that mankind can have. The science, the philosophies, the logic, the reasoning are minuscule compared to God and his wisdom. I am a fool for Christ. And indeed, that's what Paul said, that he was a fool for Christ. You see, he was considered a fool by many of the philosophers of the day. When he was preaching in Athens, when he was trying to reason to them, the, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers said that he was a babbler. Now, that's outside the church, but inside the church at Corinth, they were so puffed up with their own wisdom and pride that they thought him a fool, and so he replied to them in his letter, 1 Corinthians in chapter 4, he said, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise for Christ. So he's using some sarcasm here. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. By the way, you have to understand, when Paul uses the word fool for Christ, it's not a little polite term. It actually means, and it's the root of it, for our word moron. So you get it? You get the depth. He says, I am a moron for Christ. I am such a fool, but you are wise in your own estimation. But that's always the choice before us, isn't it? The choice is, do we follow and boast in worldly wisdom, or do we follow and boast in the wisdom of God? Do we boast in mankind, or do we boast in Jesus, who is the wisdom of God? That's always the choice before us. And if you choose the world, the world will applaud you. If you choose Christ, many will say you are but a fool. 
So are you willing to be a fool for Christ? (laughs) Right? That's what's before you today. So last week, we kept it pretty simple. We're going to keep it pretty simple again this week. Three parts. Many boast in worldly wisdom and pride, but we boast in Jesus, who is the wisdom of God. And we thank the Holy Spirit for the gift of such wisdom. So three things. We're going to first start with we many boast in the worldly wisdom and pride. I'm going to start with verse 20 and read through 24. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So a lot of people reject Jesus, and they reject Jesus for a couple of reasons. For the atheists, the skeptics of the day, they reject Jesus because they think the claims of Jesus are too outlandish. And they would say, we need If there are extraordinary claims, we need extraordinary evidence. As a matter of fact, that is one of those things that many atheists, many skeptics roll out and use today. In fact, it has a name. It's called the Sagan Standard. Carl Sagan, the uh, astronomer and scientist. He was very popular with the TV series Cosmos. I don't know if you ever saw that one. So it was very popular. He also did a lot of research and was very much focused on the search for extraterrestrial life. So he coined this term. And it has been used again and again as a showstopper for critics, for skeptics of Christianity. As a matter of fact, I was watching a Christian debate one, uh, a debate one time between a Christian and an atheist. And the atheist put this out there like a showstopper, like there's no answer for this. The extraordinary claims of Christianity need extraordinary evidence if I were to believe them. So the Christian debater said, all right, what evidence would be sufficient for you? And the atheist debater said, I would want God to write my name in the clouds. To which the Christian debater said, you wouldn't believe that even, because you would think you were just having a hallucination of some sort. So no evidence is going to be sufficient for that person. Now, the the funny thing is, is that many atheists, many uh, skeptics of this day think they are so much wiser than the Jews and the Greeks way back 2,000 years ago. But what does Paul write? Paul writes this, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. It's the same thing back then as it is today. Now, you would think, by the way, 
that all of the signs that Jesus did in his earthly ministry would have been sufficient. I mean, there was the healing of the lame, the restoring sight to the blind, the feeding of the thousands upon thousands, right? He even raised Lazarus from the dead. And while many Jews did believe, the scribes, the Pharisees, the leaders, they didn't like that. As a matter of fact, they plotted to kill Lazarus because people were believing Jesus. But when you start to peel back all the layers of all the excuses, it really comes down to this, that people reject Jesus not because of the evidence, but because of the cross and everything that it signifies. You have to understand the cross for the Jews was something of utter shame. It was a curse. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, it says this, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. So the crucifix was not something seen as noble, but as a curse by God. I mean, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the Savior of Israel, was supposed to be the king who would ride out, ride on the horse. He was powerful. He was to save everyone. But to be flogged, to be whipped, to be scorned, to be beaten, and then crucified on a, on a cross on the tree. That was nothing but shame. That was nothing but curse. How could we believe in a Messiah who did something such as that? You know, ultimately for the Jews, the Greeks, they were boasting their own wisdom. I mean, the Greeks... All the philosophers of the day, they had Plato, they had Socrates, they had the Stoics, that everybody who was talking about the nature of reality and virtue, how could one man dying under the cross be a virtuous act that flew in the face of worldly wisdom? So Paul reminds the Corinthians of who they are in a pretty blunt manner. He reminds them who they are before God. He says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then he says this, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Before you were saved, many of you had no wisdom whatsoever. There was no nobility in your life. Now, I like what one commentator said. He said, Paul did not use these unflattering descriptions of the Corinthians to belittle them, but to remind them that they had no basis for boasting. See, the Corinthians, they were all puffed up with this pride, this wisdom that they said they had. The commentator goes on like this. He says, when the Corinthians first experienced the gospel in their lives, they did not feel superior to one another 
and they were not divided. Remember, we started off talking about the messy church and divisions within the church, but they were all united in Christ Jesus. They were humble before God. The problem is we all want to feel superior in some manner. In our lives, we want to feel superior some way, shape, or form. That's just kind of the human nature that comes out. And it is present in the church as well. People in the church want to feel superior, or at least feel superior to other church groups as well. Now, you may have heard this, but I'm going to give you an example because I think it brings it out pretty well. It goes like this. One day, I saw a guy on a bridge about to jump. I said, don't do it. He said, nobody cares about me. I said, God loves you. Are, 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 do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian, a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, so am I. I, I asked him, okay, so what denomination are you? He said, Baptist. He said, I said, so am I. And, and then I said, are, are you Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative, li- Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region, or Northern Conservative Baptist, Eastern Region. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him off the bridge. See, we, too, can more very easily get puffed up in our own doctrines, and we get so tied up in our earthly wisdom versus the wisdom of God. So, Paul brings them back down, focusing on the wisdom of God. Many boast in worldly wisdom, but we boast in Jesus, who is the wisdom of God. Going on in our verses. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When non-believers look at the cross, they often see foolishness. How do you know that? Well, they'll say things like, if I were God, and you know that's the clue right there, if I were God, I wouldn't do it that way. And I certainly wouldn't do it the way that Jesus did it. An innocent man who had done nothing wrong was beaten scorned. Look, if I was his father, I wouldn't have let my son take that beating. And ardent skeptics even take it a step further. They scorn and they mock Christianity and they call the cross a sign of child abuse. They see in the cross truly foolishness. But when you look at the cross, what do you see? For those who know Jesus as Savior, 
The cross brings you to silence. I mean, it does, doesn't it? When you actually ponder the cross, that you know that Jesus was innocent and that he was scorned and that he was beaten. And that's only by mercy and grace that you're saved by what he's done. When you realize that you don't deserve a second chance because you never even deserved a first chance. When you look at the cross and realize that he saved a wretch like me. It just brings you to silence. There's nothing that I can bring, nothing that I can boast, and my boasting is for naught. This is why our Good Friday Tenebrae service is powerful for us, because it's a focus of the cross. You know, we sing this song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, and I think it fits really well here. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held, held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ his death and resurrection. On Good Friday, when we come to the cross, we come and we are silenced because there is no boasting. There is no pride. It is what the cross and Jesus has done for us. And when we start to ponder the cross even more, we get a sense of who God is. And the wisdom of God. Paul wrote this. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is the wisdom of God. You have to understand. How powerful of a statement that was. That he is the wisdom of God. Because before this time, in the Old Testament, who was the greatest, wisest king of all? Solomon. He was the wisest king. But in our gospel reading today, Jesus said that there was something greater before them than Solomon's wisdom. And he was referring to himself. So how could he be greater than Solomon's wisdom. Jesus is greater than Solomon's wisdom because he is God and he is the full wisdom of God. Now, I'm trying to wrap my brain around this and I've struggled. How do you express the wisdom of God without somehow diminishing the wisdom of God? I mean, we talk about Jesus who is the bread of life the light of the world, right? Shine, Jesus, shine. The light of the world. He is the resurrection and the life. And we, we 
start, I mean, he's a good shepherd, right? I mean, we start to understand some of these things. But it's still difficult to wrap our minds around those. So I thought perhaps, you know, when you, when you take a diamond and you, you hold a diamond up to the light, it refracts the light, and you see all of these different colors. In a way, that is who Jesus is. When we hold up Jesus and the cross, we see so many things in him. We see that he is the light of the world, the good shepherd, the lamb of God who was slain for the sin of the world. He's the promise of the resurrection and the life. And in all of that, he is the wisdom of God. And in all of this, he is not just the wisdom of God. He is God's righteousness, what is morally perfect. He is our sanctification, which is being made pure and holy. And he is redemption, a gift freely and fully given for the forgiveness of sin. Behold the man upon the cross. So if the world wants to, me to, wants to think of me as a fool for that, so be it. I gladly take on that name. For as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So many boast in the worldly wisdom and pride, but we boast in Jesus, who is the wisdom of God. And we thank the Holy Spirit for this gift of wisdom. I'm going to read verse Because last week we actually did verses 1 through 5, I'm going to skip to verse 6 through 8. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So, when Paul is writing this, he says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. He is not saying there's a secret that that only I know, and if you come to me, I'll tell you. He wasn't trying to lure or entice people in with some little hidden secret. In our day and age, we would call this clickbait. You familiar with that term, clickbait? Clickbait is simply a way to lure people online to click on a link. Let me give you an example. For most of my life, you know, I didn't know how to lose weight. I didn't uh, have a very good marriage, and my job was a dead end. But I went to the Himalayans, and I found out the secret to solve all of those things. And if you but only click on this link, I will share with you that secret. You get that? That's clickbait. Paul's not talking about that at all. He is talking about something very different. He was talking about God's wisdom that was put in place before the beginning of creation. He is talking about God's plan of redemption that God has shown throughout the Old Testament. That's what he's talking about here. And it was plain to see if your heart 
was set upon the Lord and his will, his plan of redemption, and it all points to Jesus. I don't know if you remember, but there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. We covered some of those a couple weeks ago. But there are a few. For example, the Messiah would be born of a woman, a virgin, born in Bethlehem, come from the line of Abraham, come from the tribe of Judah, be heir to King David's throne, called Emmanuel. Now, almost everybody missed all of these things that God had put into place. But there were a couple of fellows who actually figured it out. Do you remember who they were? The wise men. We're kind of doing Christmas here for a moment. But it was the wise men. In Matthew, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now I know that the original word is magi. So it means astronomer, could be scientists, somebody from the Orient. Uh, But one definition is wise men, or the use wise men. And so how did they find, how did they know about this king of the Jews that was to be born? They studied the scriptures, didn't they? They studied the scriptures. And because they studied the scriptures, the word of God given to them by means of the Holy Spirit, they understood. Other people didn't, but they did. Now, you might say, well, hold on. The Jews of the day, they had the scriptures, right? They had all of the scriptures. They should have been able to figure it out as well. Why didn't everybody else figure it out? Well, you have to understand, for the Jews of the day, scripture was more about knowledge or information and about following the rules. You were a good Jew if you observed the Torah. And not only the Torah, but all of the rules that the rabbis and leaders had made in addition to the Torah. And if you were an observant Jew, followed the rules, that uh, you went to the synagogue, could recite even some of the Torah, that's what was required of you. Now, these people had knowledge, but they did not have the wisdom of God. Of these people, Jesus said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. By the way, Jesus is quoting Isaiah chapter 29. I mentioned that to you just to say, hey, it's already in the Old Testament, not just the New Testament. Now, you might think this doesn't pertain to us as Christians, but it pertains the same way. And you know this by your own experience because you have probably been to churches before in which they might have had correct teaching, proper doctrine. People could recite and say the proper things, but they were dead. 
they were not alive in the Spirit. They confessed Jesus, but they didn't know him. Their hearts were far away from them. So to have the wisdom of God is to know who Jesus is. To not only know who he is, but to be transformed by him. Now, how do we do that? I mean, there is certain effort that should be made, right? We've been doing this whole New Testament reading. And I'll just do that as a reminder in case you haven't finished, that you still do have to the end of the year to finish the New Testament. And we are doing a study in Revelation, so that'll at least help you along too. But that's just knowledge, right? That's just filling your head with things. If your heart is not moved, it's for naught, isn't it? So how, do, how does that switch happen, though? I mean, how do people become alive in the Spirit? That's a question, isn't it? Is it by our own effort? You know, our, we're just working really hard here, and we're trying to do everything we can. But even that is for naught, isn't it? Unless it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We gain God's wisdom, the truth of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who enlightens and brings one to new life. So, verse 10, it says this. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Ultimately, it's not just our knowledge, our earthly wisdom, that brings one to faith, that brings one to life in Christ Jesus. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, everything that we're doing is either dull or foolish. As a matter of fact, Paul writes this, verse 14 of chapter 2, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Does this mean we abandon all reason, all logic? No. God gave us a brain. We are to use it. We are to use reasoning. We are to use logic. We are to do all of that. But that's not ultimately what we lean on to be spiritually alive in Christ Jesus. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that brings us to life. Look, I can preach the same sermon to one person, to, to everyone. One person becomes alive and another person doesn't. Is that because my words aren't full of all of this wonderful earthly wisdom and everything? No, it's the, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit touching each and every one of you. And Paul, as brainy as Paul is, was, he still relied on the wisdom of God, the spiritual truths of God. And by the way, this should be great freedom for you. 
This should be great freedom for you because many people do not share their faith because they think, I haven't gone to seminary. I haven't memorized the entire Bible. I haven't even read the entire New Testament yet. Right? All of these things. And they think, well, I won't have all the words. Behold the man upon the cross. He took my sins upon himself, and in him I'm forgiven. That's the freedom you have in Christ Jesus. And you need not anything more than that. Will the world think you a fool? Yeah, probably. Does it matter? No. Because you are wise in Christ Jesus and the gospel. So, Many boast in worldly wisdom and pride, but we boast in Jesus, who is the wisdom of God, and we thank God, the Holy Spirit, for the gift of such wisdom. And so the choice before you is this, to follow the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of God. So we boast in Jesus, who is the wisdom of God. The world might call you a fool. Are you, be, are you willing to be a fool for Christ? That's the question before you this day. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.